Our text this morning is found in Psalms 146. You'll find that on page two or 525 in the Bible in the chair in front of you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps his faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all the generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Alyssa. Oh, dear. Well, once again, good morning. We are coming to the end of our summer salt life. That's the worst news you could have heard. But we're going to be uh, moving into a sermon next week on life groups. And then after that, after Labor Day, uh, we'll be into First Thessalonians. So um, it's not the end of preaching. So that's good news. Um, let me pray for us, and then we'll get started looking at Psalm 146. Lord, thank you for this gathering of people. Thank you for the opportunity uh, that you have afforded this broken man to share the word of God this morning. I pray I do that uh, to your glory, to your honor. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart uh, match the meaning of this text. I pray the Holy Spirit would be here, active in our hearts, that it would help us to sift through my words and to find what you have for us individually and collectively this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, we're going to start today with a game. Now, those of you who love games, calm down. It's not a real big game. Those of you who hate games, it'll be over soon, okay? Um, I'm going to start a common phrase, and if you can finish this phrase, go ahead and just say the end to me. All right, so here it is. Are you ready? Everybody ready? If you want it done right, hey, wow, yeah. All right, let's pray. Um, <laughs> listen, uh, this, I don't think, uh, is a harmful sentiment, okay? Um, I think when you look at it in passing, when do we say it? Why do we say it? When have we heard it? Uh, it, it, we, it expresses high standards, all right? That's what it, it expresses high standards. Uh, those who say it, I don't think, mean anything malicious when they do say it. Um, but when you sit in a statement like this, when you sit in a statement like this, you can't help but unfold, find some other meaning. What is, if you want it done right, do it yourself, say? It expresses the unreliability of others. 
to meet these high standards that we have set, the highest standards of all, right? Uh, And so when we say it, if we mean it, if we understand what it's really truly saying, what are we saying? We're saying, I am my only help, and therefore I am my only reliable hope. If you want it done right, do it yourself. I have to admit, uh, my heart resonates with this kind of thinking, okay? My sinful heart eats, sleeps, breathes this kind of thinking, all right? Why is it important? But, but the fact that this happens in my heart is important. When the going gets tough, what's Ransom's first response? To go inward, find tough, don't give up, stubborn Ransom, and we're going to handle this. Right, buddy? Right. Handshake alone. I don't know. It's weird. Um, when things get hard, where does my help come from? It comes from me. And what better place? Um, this is how I ended up marrying up way above my station, by the way. Um, uh, some of you are even thinking right now, so Ransom is aware of this about himself. Um, I'm surprised the elders and Julie have not yelled amen at this point, but leave it. Listen, amen. Thank you. Uh, even as I talk about it this morning, I can't help but edge towards this being a badge of honor. I can't help it. This area of my life requires from ransom ongoing repentance. I'm not reliable. I'm not that reliable. My self-assessment is not accurate. When we live in that kind of self-reliance, as I do very often, what does it do? It shoves Jesus completely out of our lives. I don't need Jesus. Jesus, I got this one. Self-reliance in the manner that I've described it is nothing but distrust and idolatry of self. It's what it is. Let's just call it what it is. The psalm opens with a command as to where we ought to place our hope. It's in verses 1 through 4. There's a positive statement of it. There's a negative statement of it. Where should we put our hope and our trust. So when I, when, when times get tough, what's my natural inclination to put my hope in myself? Maybe you do the same. Maybe you put your, your hope in someone else. But the psalmist this morning leaves no question about the only place of true trust, true reliability. And so where we should put our hope. Let's start with the negative aspect of this commandment, all right? And so in verse 3, he tells us where not to put our trust. Verse 3, put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Uh, now, this command is not specific to princes, like we should be checking credentials. Now, are you a prince? Because I need to make sure before I trust you, okay? Um, uh, princes represent in this context... The reliable, the most reliable. And so one author, J.A. Moyer, said it this week, all human objects of trust, whether outstanding, meaning uh, princes, or ordinary, here a son of man, lack ability, lack continuance, and reliability. They lack it. They don't have it. For what? It's important to read this. In whom there is no salvation. They lack Ability, continuance, and reliability for salvation. So we're not just talking about others in general situations like showing up for lunch on time or answering a phone call. Don't leave here jaded. Well, I can't trust anybody. That's what pastor says. Listen, humankind, what this verse is saying is do not trust humankind to define or to deliver on what we really, really need. What we really need. 
humanity, how do they define what we need? They say you need to be happy. You need to feel content. You need to be yourself. And, and how do, where do we find that? You find that inside yourself. You find that inside yourself. And so the definition and the deliverance of that is unreliable. Let's think about legalistic Christianity so we're not being too hard on the world. What does legalistic Christianity say? It says you need to be holy. And where do you find that? You pull up your bootstraps and you get it done, Christian. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. What's the limitation of humankind? Verse 4, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, his plans perish. All of our self-perpetuated ideas, guess what? They fail. (laughs) They fail. They fail. Mankind, humankind, ourselves, were not capable of giving us what we truly need, let alone defining it. And so here, death I would say, is just the final reason that man's plans fail. Uh, Psalm 20 is very similar to this passage. Psalm 20 says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And where does that lead? They collapse and fall. We rise and stand upright. So that brings us to the positive side of the commandment. So do not trust humankind for what you really need. I think the first question might be, what do we need? And we can see what we need by how, uh, who we're told to trust, who we should trust. Verses 1 and 2, the positive aspect. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. The need that's expressed in these verses is deep and eternal. Only God can meet the need that we have. The only truly and eternally trustworthy presence in our lives is God. The language here is deep, meaningful language. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. What is a soul? A soul is is the part of us where we think, where we feel, where we will, where we desire. Where we determine what our needs are and how we should fulfill them. That's where we make those kinds of choices, those kinds of decisions. And what the psalmist is saying, as long as I am functioning, the only one worthy of my full trust, the only being that can, I can lean into without failing is God. God alone. Do not trust princes. And so what is the concept? What's the commandment boiled down in verses 1 through 4? It's this. Do not trust others or yourself for the fulfillment of your deepest needs. Don't trust others or yourself for the fulfillment of your deepest needs needs. Well, the question might come after that, but Ransom, how do I know that God is trustworthy? How do I know that? The psalmist is so glad you asked, okay? The next three sections follow with three answers to that very question. How, why should I trust God? First, we go to verses five and six. We have uh, God's character on display. God proves his reliability with his character, we're going to just take verse 5 slowly here, and then we'll move to verse 6. First, first part of verse 5, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. This word help or helper is the word ezer, E-Z-E-R. This word is the same word used of Eve in the garden, a helper. The same word, 
And so when God created man and woman in his image, you can see this. Their roles are a reflection of who he is in his character. A helper is one who contributes to the fulfillment of a purpose. Blessed is he whose help is God. Blessed here means highly favored or protected. And so here's what we can see. It's what's, what's happening. This is a statement about who God is more so than it's a statement about what we do. So we're not, the image here is we are running to God for help. God is a helper. He helps. He is taking action. And because his purposes do not fail, those whom are protected by God are protected. Do you see? You're not looking for protection. Where is it? God protects those whom he protects for his own purposes. Second part of verse 5. Whose hope is in the Lord his God. How do we use the word hope? I think we use the word hope more like wish, like, we, like the word wish, okay? Um, a, a statement might be about God. So if, our, if we think our hope's in God and we're using hope the way we, we generally do, we might say something like, well, I hope God does such and such. I hope God does what I want. And I think what we're looking to there is that hope, in our words, is that this other being will help us fulfill our own agenda. Maybe God is helping us be happy or helping us be comfortable or helping us with a problem. But this problem, this this happiness, this comfort is based on what we want out of our lives for ourselves. The, The definition of hope here turns all of that on its head. The word hope means the thing on which we center our expectations. You see the difference there? Instead of us having this group of expectations here and having God come help us with it, hope here means because of who God is, he is the center of our expectations. It's communicating here a movement of expectations for what I want to who God is, framing what my expectations of life might be. The movement of our expectations from unreliable, I set the agenda, to God, reliable. He sets the agenda. He fulfills the purpose. And so because God is a helper, he moves, he helps. Because God's purposes do not fail, because he's the one who truly helps, he ought to become the basis for our expectations, our hope, our hope. Well, another question. What kind of expectations can we have of God? What can we expect of God? Well, I don't know. The same expectations of one who made heaven and earth, (laughs) the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Verse 6, our helper, the one whom we frame our expectations around, is the creator of everything, the sustainer. Of everything. And the good news here is we're invited to build our lives, build our hope, build our expectations around the one who's faithful forever. Forever. And so, what kind of help does he offer us in our troubles? What kind of hope does God offer in our lives, the kind that creates, plans, and upholds everything? (laughs) I can't think of much more than that. 
So the first answer is God proves his reliability by his character. The second answer comes in verses 7 through 9, and and we see that God proves his reliability through what he has done. So it's not just a statement of who he is. God has proven to us his reliability through what he has done. Uh, We have to be careful as you read verses 7 through 9 with Western eyes. We have to be careful. So I'm going to read this, then we'll talk about that. We'll unpack it. But here's verses 7 through 9. So the same God who created also executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. First of all, do you see God acting? This is God the helper. He's doing these things for those people who can't. I think, again, our Western eyes, or maybe it's the false gospel of self-reliance, causes us to maybe misunderstand who exactly is being talked about in verses 7 through 9. Prisoners, blind, sojourners, fatherless. It's easy to imagine other people. Well, none of those things are me. (laughs) None of those things are me. But if you take the literal meaning of these words and you look at the context together, you can see just who this list is referring to. So first, the oppressed, those treated unjustly. Prisoner, anyone deprived of their freedom. Not just people who've done crimes. Bow down, those who are forced into servitude. Sojourner, one who exists in a place where they do not come from. It's not their true home. What is a righteous person? It's someone being found in a condition acceptable to God. The Israelites are using these words to refer to themselves. They're not talking about other people. This is God's people. This is the description of God's people. So what do we learn? As they declare this in a prayer or a song, they are saying, and we ought to say with them, the people of God are not self-made, nor are we self-preserved. We're not self-made. This isn't referring to someone else. This is us. Recall with me the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So we just reviewed with the children about who Jesus came to save and why he came to save while we were weak. While we were ungodly, Christ died for us. And so at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus sits in the synagogue. He's handed the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads this passage. He says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Church, do you hear who Christ came to save You hear who he came to save? He came to save those who cannot be relied upon. He came to save those who couldn't do it right, even if they did do it themselves. And that is who we are. We are not self-made. We are not self-preserved. We find ourselves in that list, broken and in need. And to say it strongly, Church, if we delude ourselves, if we delude ourselves into thinking that we are more capable than we really are to meet our deepest needs, 
We're hoping in that which will not, cannot ever help out, ever help us. Our hope is misplaced. In some form or fashion, we are imprisoned, we are blind, we're bowed down, we're lost, we're widowed, we're fatherless, we're oppressed. And all of those things, were, those things are true of us in the worst way possible by our sin in our hearts, in our very souls. But that's not reason to fear either because what? God showed us his love. God showed us his reliability. God gave us his help. He showed us his forever faithfulness. How? By sending Jesus Christ. It's the answer. And it's actually this help of Jesus that gives us hope forever. Look at verse 10. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. How is that true? Because when Jesus breathed his last breath and he was put in the earth, his plans actually were sealed in stone. He came back. He defeated death. The only one to ever do that in the way that he did it. God, through Jesus, is the saver of our helpless souls. We, are, we were imprisoned, we were blind, we were dead, and we cannot resist this truth of our brokenness and our need, church. We can't resist it. It's so tempting to resist. No, 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 I got this one. This journey through Psalms this summer, what has it been a reminder of? At least to me, it's been a reminder of how much help we need we're way, I'm way overconfident far too often. We need a new hope. The things we hope in in this world do not deliver. They don't. They're not good enough. And where does that start? It starts with an admission and a repentance of our self-reliance. I cannot muscle my way to pleasing God. Doesn't happen. Can't happen. You cannot rely on yourself for freedom from the things that oppress you. You don't have it. I'm sorry. We cannot hope in our own agenda and have confidence in the outcomes. If you want a clunky restatement, this is not going to be quippy, so I wouldn't try to use it in a normal conversation. A clunky restating if you want it done right. If we want hope in this life and eternity done right, we have to trust that God has already done it. There you go. Very easy. Real snappy. All right? God's already done it. He's already done it. So where do we go from here? First, we admit and reject self-reliance. I know how hard that is. I know how hard that is. We reject our self-reliance. Then we receive the birth, the life, the death the resurrection of Jesus as a gift to a helpless, blind, fatherless widow of a person. That's who we are. We accept his birth, life, death, and resurrection as our true help, our true hope, the thing on which we surround our expectations because it's the only thing that saves, the only thing that satisfies And so this morning, as we do, 
go to the Lord's table, it's an opportunity to recenter ourselves, to recenter on ourselves, on our eternal security, our eternal hope, our eternal help, Jesus Christ. So think about this. Why was his body broken? Why was his blood shed? for those who needed it. And so when we come and we participate in the Lord's Supper, first and foremost, it's an admission of need. We need it. We need him. And the bread and the wine, what does it do? It reminds us of the proof of his character and his help, what he's done. It's a reminder of how far God was willing to go to death and back to help a person like us. And so what better way to begin rebuilding our hopes and expectations than sitting at the foot of the cross and reminding ourselves just what's been done for us. So this morning, if you know, if you know you're incapable, if you know that you misread your deepest needs and you know you can't fulfill them, that you know you can't do that, you know that Jesus Christ is your only hope, your only help, If you've made that profession, if you've been baptized, you're invited this morning to come and receive help. That's what this is. It's our help to reorient our hope by coming forward and walking up. You're saying, my only hope is Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus in that way, the Bible makes it very clear that you should not come and eat. And I would say, don't leave it at that. Don't leave it at that. If If your life is not centered on Jesus Christ as your help and your hope, it's centered on something that will not help you and is no hope at all. So don't leave it there. Don't leave it there. Every human has a problem. We're separated from God, and Jesus is the only way to make a reconnection. Only way. And so if you want to make that reconnection, if that sounds interesting to you, if you want to know more about it, please talk to me. Talk to any of our elders be glad to have that conversation. Let's take a moment and meditate, pray by ourselves, recentering ourselves on the hope, the help of Jesus Christ and his broken body and shed blood and his resurrection. I'll gather us back together with a prayer of blessing in just a moment. Father in heaven, give us the courage to say, I can't. I can't. I never have been able to. I never will be able to. I can't meet my own needs. I can't work hard enough to fulfill my heart, my soul, my life. But also give us the courage to look up 
and not just wallow in sadness or self-pity, but to see that you are already there by our side. You've already done the thing we need. You came and you were born of a virgin. You lived a difficult life. You spent three years of difficult ministry, being rejected by your family, rejected by, by, by your own people, crucified for something you did not do. And you rose again. You defeated all of that. You came back from the dead, gave us a mission, and promised, I will be with you until the very end of the age. And here you are. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you're with us this morning. We recognize that truth as we participate in the Lord's Supper. As we eat the bread and drink the cup, remind us that our only help, our only hope has never left our side. You're with us. We pray these names in the only worthy name they can be prayed in, the name of Jesus. Amen.